Welcome to the Soft Life with Sadie Baddies. Sadie Baddies is the antidote to mental health stigma, and this podcast is hosted by yours truly, Priscilla O. Adjman. We are a virtual sanctuary centering Black and multiracial people, and we prioritize the mental and emotional nourishment that is the foundation of collective healing in our communities. Thank you for being here. Welcome back, baddies. This is our second to last episode of the season, of season one. Last week, we shared all about growing up first-generation American, dealing with an identity crisis, and finding your tribe. And as you know, I dedicated that episode to my parents, and they both listened and loved it. So having them being a part of that conversation was incredibly special to me. Remember, if you're first-generation, you're not alone in your experiences. So if you're not already following us on Instagram and our community group chat, Home Geneva, please don't forget to join because we do have ongoing discussions on both those platforms after each episode in those spaces. And I would love for you to be a part of that. So today's episode is all about dealing with high functioning anxiety, healing from burnout and self-soothing methods that I've tried to help me along the way. If you've been a part of Sadie Baddies for a while, you know that we're no strangers to dealing with anxiety. I've spoken pretty openly about my experiences with anxiety, panic attacks, and burnout over the years, and I'm so grateful that I'm at a place right now in my life where I've progressed so much mentally and emotionally. Also, I've come to understand high-functioning anxiety and depression not as a sign of strength or capability as it relates to what our bodies and our minds can do under a capitalist society. However, it's the language that's used to describe the tendency to mask these symptoms in order to keep going. So both socially and towards productivity, since we live in a society that does not prioritize rest or recovery, that's why there is this label of high functioning. Masking is a survival method for many of us, and we end up suffering undoubtedly. So what is high-functioning anxiety? High-functioning anxiety isn't an, it's not an official psychiatric diagnosis, but rather the way that mental health professionals describe a person who deals with anxiety on a daily basis, yet maintains their day-to-day without it severely interfering their productivity or livelihood. So high-functioning anxiety is just as debilitating as any other anxiety disorder. Constant micro-levels of stress over time can cause our cortisol levels to increase and can create a long-term effect on our mental, physical, and emotional health. Someone with high-functioning anxiety is probably less likely to have inpatient hospitalization for their condition. However, they will likely seek out long-term outpatient therapy, talk therapy, et cetera, to manage their symptoms over time. And just because somebody with high-functioning anxiety makes their symptoms look manageable, it doesn't mean it's that simple. Jonathan Sikorsky, a director of wellness and education and assistant professor of psychiatry at the University of Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha, writes, typically when I hear people talk about high-functioning anxiety, it means that they may have a lot of features of anxiety disorder without the actual diagnosis. So before I dive into what high-functioning anxiety actually looks like, I want to just point out that this is something that I struggled with deeply in my late teens to early 20s. I really struggled with high-functioning anxiety. Um, I've talked about this before. I've also Um, shared a YouTube video about this very topic, so I'll definitely be sure to link um, that in the show notes. But when I was 
18, 19, early 20s, um, and even a little younger than that, I realized that I would have these really strong reactions to stress. And nobody really understood why I was so stressed out or why I was so anxious or nervous. Um, I also didn't have the language to describe how I felt. So that made it even harder to get the help I needed. It wasn't until grad school, as I mentioned in um, episode one of the podcast, it wasn't until grad school that I really started seeking out mental health care and going to therapy on a regular basis. So this topic really hits home for me because I have definitely struggled with high functioning anxiety um, for a majority of my life, actually. So what does high functioning look like? So here are the things about high functioning anxiety that make it so unsuspecting. So these are kind of the positive attributes of it or the parts of high functioning anxiety that go under the radar. Um, So a lot of times somebody with high functioning anxiety can be very outgoing. Um, They can seem very happy, tell jokes, smile, laugh. They can be very punctual, um, arriving very early for appointments so that they're not late proactive, planning ahead for all possibilities. Um, So if you're a Virgo, you probably understand (laughs) because these are all things of being on time is great. You know, being proactive is great. However, sometimes there's this underlying fear of not being good enough um, if you don't do these things. Um, Additionally, somebody with high functioning anxiety can be extremely organized, like to make lists, keep calendars, etc. High achieving, detail oriented, orderly and tidy, active, helpful, appear calm on the outside, very, very passionate and throw yourself 100% into every task that you do and very loyal in relationships. I honestly feel like I'm describing myself (laughs) reading this list out loud, but I'm also describing a lot of people um, that a lot of of us might call type A personalities. And these are people who just, for lack of a better word, they have their shit together. They're people that are reliable, you can trust, you can depend on, they're always there, they're always early, they're always on time. So these are not negative things. You know, these are attributes that a lot of people would find positive. However, deep down, somebody with high functioning anxiety could be a people pleaser and have a fear of driving people away or not being able to maintain relationships if they don't uphold these standards or these actions. Um, A lot of times somebody with high functioning anxiety might have nervous habits like playing with your hair or even pulling out your hair, cracking your knuckles a lot, biting your lips, biting your nails, all of those like nervous little tics. Um, Need to, sometimes somebody with a high functioning anxiety can have a need to do repetitive things over and over again, like counting stairs or rocking back and forth. Overthinking um, is a key component. The need for reassurance. So asking for directions multiple times, checking on others frequently, just this constant need for reassurance and repetition of instructions or directions. Um, Procrastination followed by long periods of crunch time. So despite somebody with high functioning anxiety seeming to be really on time and early, sometimes that can be also internally, they might be procrastinating, but they have these bursts bursts of um, productivity where they can focus. Um, They might also have an inability to say no. And often somebody with high functioning anxiety overcommits and overloads their schedule. 
this is a key thing I had noticed in the past that I would jam-pack my schedule, whether it was in school, it was my personal life, my social life, I was saying yes to everything and everyone. And that was because I had a fear of letting people down or being in a place where people thought negatively of me because I wasn't able to be present or do something for them. Um, Also, somebody with high-functioning anxiety might have a tendency to compare themselves a lot. They might even turn down invitations due to their feelings of anxiety, especially if it's social anxiety, mental and physical fatigue, um, loyal to a fault in relationships and wanting to maintain and uphold relationships no matter how destructive that relationship might be. And last but not least, potential for alcohol, substances, misuse as coping methods. So as you can see, high-functioning anxiety is this kind of dual um, experience where on the outside you appear to be like really, really trustworthy, really reliable, you know, all these great things, but deep down you're really suffering with just anxiety and that nervousness, that fearfulness that comes with anxiety a lot of times. So let's talk about burnout. Burnout is something that over 58% of United States individuals or people um, report. So that is more than half of the country. And burnout is a state of emotional, mental, and often physical exhaustion brought on by prolonged or repeated stress. So I have recently um, been in a phase of my life currently within the last month and a half of recovering from burnout. I was burnt out for the greater half of this year, the greater half of last year. I was just on autopilot for a very long time. And that might be some surprising to hear um, to some people because if you know me personally, you know that I'm very goal-oriented. I have a lot of you know, things that I want to accomplish in my life. I'm very active. I'm, I'm one of those people that I feel like I tend to always have something going on. And I was just on autopilot for the longest time. I recently had a, the opportunity to have a break from that autopilot. And it's been such a relief for me because my body and my mind and my energy levels have transformed over time. I'll get into that in a little bit when you know, we get into talking about self-soothing methods, but I just want to say that burnout, it takes an average of three to five years to fully recover from burnout. So if you're feeling burnt out now, imagine how long it would take to recover from that. Um, Our jobs can easily make us burn out, but that is not the only area. Burnout can occur with creatives. You can have creative burnout. You can Um, have burnout if you are a caretaker or a caregiver. Um, If you're a parent, obviously, you can have burnout in romantic relationships and even friendships too. So as we know, chronic stress has been shown to really break down the mind and body. A lot of chronic illnesses are directly um, associated or um, connected to having long-term chronic illnesses. So some of those effects of chronic stress include complications during pregnancy, diabetes, hypertension, depression, anxiety, and other mental health issues, cancer, and even stroke. So these are real 
physical effects of just being chronically stressed out. Um, Some of the signs that you might be feeling really burnt out, especially in the workspace, is if you feel alienation from your work, feeling more cynical, frustrated, and stressed out at work than usual, you may also start to detach from your coworkers and feel numb about your role. So just when you start entering this feeling in this phase of numbness, which I definitely have felt in the past, this feeling of just negativity and feeling very frustrated and just dis- uncomfortable at work um thinking about work gets you stressed out being at work makes you stressed out um additionally having this emotional exhaustion this lack of energy um having poor coping skills and just feeling generally overwhelmed that is also a sign of burnout in terms of performance um difficulty concentrating and executing tasks and having issues balancing work and home life as well. So if your job has become so overwhelming that you're unable to, you know, take care of yourself or take care of the people that you live with or your loved ones, that's also a sign that you are physically becoming burnt out. Um, As mentioned, physical symptoms include chronic stress, um, which can lead to issues such as digestion problems, headaches, random aches and pains that are inexplicable that is also a big sign of burnout so what is the remedy for burnout i mean not all of us can just quit our jobs and go live on an island (laughs) as much as that would be ideal um and just not having to be constantly productive under the capitalist society that we live in ideally we would love to just be able to remove ourselves altogether Realistically, most of us can't do that, myself included. When it comes to having the opportunity to heal from burnout, it really starts with managing what you have on your plate. If this requires you to have a conversation with your manager, your supervisor about what you can do, let that be known. If this requires a conversation with your professor, if you're in school or whoever, and just letting them know what your bandwidth is, what your workload capacity is. And having those conversations are important. Not only will it allow you to advocate for yourself, it will let that person know, let that person who's managing your workload understand that this is too much for you. And that does not make you a weak person. Being aware of your bandwidth and your workload does not make you weak. And I have had conversations with uh, my managers before in the past. Um, Occasionally, I have had to, you know, ask for just a day off. And this is before I, I was in a role that had unlimited paid time off or PTO. But in the past, when I didn't have that, I would just, you know plan ahead. I would say, you know what, I'm going to take a day off this week and I'm going to literally do nothing so that I can just regroup. If it means doing that and planning ahead, if you don't have the freedom to just take off whenever you want, do that. Um, you know, taking a vacation is is super helpful to reset your environment, your mind, body, and soul. Um, resting, taking things off your to-do list that aren't urgent. You know, if you have a never ending to-do list think about the things that you can ask you can get help with if you if it's your laundry if it's cooking and cleaning whatever what are those things that you can get help with so that you're not depleting the little energy 
reserve that you have. Um, if you or a loved one is going through burnout, offering to help with simple tasks such as laundry, food shopping, childcare, or cooking can go a long way because community care is self-care too. If there's someone in your life who's been going through burnout and has expressed how stressed out they are, how tired they are, how exhausted they are, and you're just on the listening end of it, it might be more effective to actually, you know, ask them, can I help you with this? Can I do this for you? Instead of saying, well, do you need help? A lot of times some of us are not comfortable asking for help. But if someone offers to do something for us and it's tangible and it's directed to our workload and it can help us to alleviate some of that stress take that you know that's part of having softness in your life is being able to be vulnerable with the people around you and you know inviting help into your life so now let's talk about some self-soothing methods so I broke this up into mind body and soul self-soothing methods these are all things that I have done myself over the years over the last 10 years not all at the same time, just to be clear, I'm always kind of going through um, different experiences with with self-care and wellness. And as somebody who's really enthusiastic about wellness, I've tried a lot of different wellness um, practices and some of them have stuck with me, some of them haven't. Some of them were great for a period of time and then some of them kind of phased out. And I just want you to remember that when you hear someone suggesting like a self-care method or a wellness practice just make sure that it fits into your lifestyle if someone's suggesting that you drop five thousand dollars to go on a wellness retreat and you know that is not in your capacity you don't have to guilt yourself you don't have to feel bad that you can't do that you know you have to figure out what's going to work with your lifestyle what's going to work within your budget within your resources these are all things that are relatively accessible because I did a lot of these things when I didn't have a job and I was just a grad student and I didn't really know what to do in terms of how to take care of myself or practice wellness. So first we have mind. So these are all practices that have directly helped me um, in terms of how I speak to myself, how my thought process is, and overall just mentally what has helped me. So first we have meditation and breath work. I know that a lot of people suggest meditation. Some people love meditation, some people do not. I'll be honest with you, it took me a very long time to get into meditation. It took me a good six months before it became a daily practice for me. I do very simple meditations. I don't do anything that is over 15 to 20 minutes at most. And even 20 minutes is that's not too often that I do that long of a meditation. Typically, I do, I do 10 minutes a day and that's all I need. Um, sometimes they're guided meditation. Sometimes they're solo where I just set a timer and I close my eyes and I meditate for 10 minutes. The whole point of meditation is to just practice being present and being aware and allowing yourself to just be in the moment. For somebody who deals with high functioning anxiety or is dealing with burnout, sometimes we are so overwhelmed by our own thoughts or we don't even have the energy to pay attention to you know how we're really feeling, which is why meditation is such a great resource for both of those things, in my opinion. Um, additionally, 
there's different types of meditation. You can meditate while you're walking. You can meditate while you, you know, take your dog out for a walk or while you're washing dishes, while you're cleaning. There's active and passive meditation. So, you know, be flexible with what works for you. If you're someone that would rather move while you meditate, do that. Um, breath work is an incredible tool because, first of all, it's free. And breath work has helped me to regulate my breathing. A lot of us actually don't even realize that our breaths that we take on a daily basis are very shallow. It's shallow breathing, which is directly correlated to um, symptoms of anxiety. So if you're taking these really shallow breaths, you're not taking a full deep belly breath and, you know, taking a, a deep breath to anchor yourself every single day, you are really missing out on the benefits of regulating your breathing system. I have learned a lot about breath work um, and I've done box breathing, um, which is when you inhale for four seconds, you hold that breath for four seconds, and then you exhale for four seconds and you just do that over and over and over again. I've learned about that through Google, YouTube, Instagram. There's a lot of different ways to learn about meditation and box breathing. I will also link some of these um, videos in the show notes. I have a channel that I love on YouTube that has a bunch of really great 10-minute daily meditations, and I love them so much. It's really helped me throughout the years. Another aspect of um, self-soothing for your mind is journaling or thought dumping. Um, Sometimes if I don't have my journal with me or I'm on the go, but I feel really anxious, I will literally take out my notes app and I will write down everything I'm thinking. I'll jot things down and it is such a great way to empty out your racing thoughts. I think we underestimate that autonomy we have over just sharing what we feel without being judged. I also know some people like to do videos and they like to talk to themselves on voice memo and whatever it is, whatever form of release that you have, it's really, really helpful to just get it out no matter what. And if you don't, if you're concerned about privacy, you can always delete those, you know, notes that you make or what do whatever, or just keep it in a safe space. But For me personally, I've learned that journaling has been a transformative practice for me. I have actually been journaling since I was, I believe, seven or eight years old consistently. So you can imagine how many journals I have. I have over like 50 journals at this point um, over the years since I was literally a child to me now as as an adult um, because journaling has just been that much of an important practice to me. Um, therapy and counseling, of course, I will definitely say that therapy has been probably one of the most influential components of me dealing with anxiety. I learned a lot about self-soothing methods through therapy, but I also learned about, you know, changing my mindset and shifting my perspective about things through therapy. So, I will definitely share um, resources below on therapy directories that have been helpful to me. But therapy was just a safe space. I'm no, I'm not currently seeing a therapist, and um, 
I was seeing a therapist for four years straight. I think that therapy is just one of those resources that should be accessible to every single person, everybody, no matter who you are, no matter what you look like. I think that there's just so many benefits of therapy that can't be understated. I don't think that the mental health system is perfect. I actually think it's incredibly flawed. However, when you do find the right therapist or counselor that can help hold space for you and can give you the tools you need, you can make some amazing progress over time. So um, I had the opportunity and the blessing of having a black therapist and the way that I was able to just relate to her and she related to me and it was just this unspoken understanding. It just made our sessions so much more fruitful. So I will definitely share um, some therapy resources below. And of course there's different types of therapy. There's cognitive behavioral therapy, there's talk therapy, etc. So I'll share below. Okay, now we're gonna talk about body. So these are some self-soothing methods that I've used physically to help fill my vessel up um and just help me feel physically more grounded so one thing i will definitely share is drinking and taking adaptogenic supplements that has been transformative and adaptogens are essentially um, nutritious items you know vitamins etc herbs that you can take that helped your body adapt to stress. So instead of it just being a placeholder or numbing those feelings or those symptoms of anxiety, it actually helps to adapt your body into these, if your body is dealing with stress, it helps your body to adapt to that cortisol level that's present. So some adaptogens that I love taking and have taken in the past on and off, um, ashwagandha, um, which is a plant that can be produced into oils um, or teas. I've taken it in oil form mostly and um, like a tincture and it's been great. It's very helpful for um, dealing and managing it with stress. I will definitely suggest doing research on how to properly take ashwagandha because it has been commercialized. It's originally from India so a lot of um, brands have kind of co-opted it and made it very trendy, but you want to make sure you're taking it and ingesting it the proper way. So I would highly suggest doing your research and finding credible sources before you take any of these supplements. But um, ashwagandha has been a great um, resource for me. I've also been using more matcha over coffee, even though matcha still has caffeine, it just has lower levels it still gives you that energy boost but i've noticed that when i drink coffee i'm a lot more anxious so just being aware of like you know what makes my body react this way what makes my body react that way additionally reishi mushroom and cacao um cbd oil is amazing i've used it for over two years now consistently it's part of my daily um practice to take cbd and you know, just generally trying to eat whole foods. I am not perfect when it comes to this at all whatsoever. Um, however, I do notice that when I cook healthy foods and I, I take my time to to make something that is wholesome and nutritious, I feel a lot better mentally and physically than if I just were to order something 
you know, on Uber Eats. So secondly, movement. Movement is medicine. Working out, whatever it is for you, whether it's yoga, Pilates, running, whatever it is, moving is medicine. I've actually just had a point where I decided to reframe working out or exercising as body worship. It is a time for me to be grateful for my body, be grateful for my limbs, be grateful for the fact that I can move. Um, Getting out of my head and into my body has been such a grounding practice for me over the years. I used to not really like exercising, but once I reframed it as an opportunity to celebrate my body and celebrate movement, it really changed for me. Now it's just part of my day-to-day routine. I don't even really think about it. I just do it. And I think that if... If I hadn't reframed it, I would still be feeling like I'm punishing myself for having to exercise. And, you know, when I was dealing with my anxiety or when I had my most difficult experiences with anxiety, I I would say, I definitely wasn't moving as much as I, I probably could have. And I think now that I make it a daily practice to do that, it's helped me so much. Um, lastly for body, I would also mention EFT and float therapy. So EFT is a somatic practice. It is the emotional freedom technique, and it uses similar meridian lines, also known as energy lines found in acupuncture. So I learned about EFT through YouTube actually, and there's essentially several tapping points that you tap on your body and they're connected to energy lines in your body and at the end of every tapping session you'll kind of feel this like very slight vibration going through your entire body and it's just such a really powerful experience I've cried during EFT sessions before um, because it just feels so powerful it feels so healing and um, my Good sis Lotus Laloba is a energy practitioner and she teaches EFT courses. So definitely check her out. She is a great EFT and just wellness practitioner in general. Um, combined with cognitive behavioral therapy or exposure therapy even, um, EFT can provide really, really great results for somebody dealing with anxiety or really heavy emotions. Um, Float therapy or um, float therapy sensory deprivation is a practice. It's um, been around for quite some time, but it's kind of having a resurgence now. I tried float therapy for the first time about a month ago, and it was really, really amazing. It's an immersive experience, so you're essentially in this tub of water filled with magnesium salts, and you're floating Um, And it's dark, it's very quiet, you have headphones on so you don't see or hear anything. And I just think it's, um, I think it's a really immersive experience. I've never done anything like that. So having that was just so refreshing. I felt a lot lighter after I left. I think if you don't have the opportunity to try float therapy, you know, taking baths on a regular basis or just immersing yourself in water can be really, really great too. And lastly, we have soul. So 
the soul practices or self-care practices for me are these are the things that fill your soul up these are the things that make you feel full so first we have music therapy of course I personally love lo-fi music I love high vibrational music we have a bunch of playlists um which you can find on Spotify and I'll also link in the show notes but just music that helps you to feel calmer um, there's also brown noise, which is similar to what white noise is. It just it's kind of like background noise, but brown noise it feels a little bit different. It feels like as if you were in a tundra or if you were in like a, a canyon or somewhere that's in the earth very very deep in the earth. It is really immersive as well, and that sound can really help drown out like racing thoughts every time I've played brown noise or brown noise like playlist you you can find on YouTube it just helps me to focus more and then also there's a bunch of playlists and um, channels on YouTube which have healing frequencies so healing vibrations um, which are at different frequencies and can provide um, a lot of calmness into your daily practice so I would definitely suggest using music therapy in that way and exploring different forms of music and sound. Um, spiritual and soul care practices. So just doing things with the full body, yes. Um, instead of just signing up for everything that you think you you need to do, doing things with intention, resting, of course, taking breaks often, taking time to be offline, being gentle with yourself, tending to your inner child, having inner child practices, playing, spiritual baths, exploring sensuality. These are all soul care practices that I've done and have helped me to come back home to myself. Um, And last but not least, choosing people who are good for your mental health and fill your soul up. This is something that's undoubtedly going to help you come back to feeling like yourself again. People who are good for your mental health, people who when you spend time with them you feel full you feel that energy that you might have lost and I think finding that community and finding those people might take time but it is definitely going to help you along the way and just having people that you can rely on so let's recap some of these self-soothing methods for mind body and soul again so for mind we have meditation and breath work journaling and thought dumping and then therapy and counseling For body, we have wholesome nutrition and adaptogens, movement as medicine, EFT and flow therapy. And for soul, we have music and sound, healing vibrations, spiritual and soul care, and connection with others. So I want to emphasize that this information is based on research that's available and accessible to everyone, as well as my own anecdotal experiences, which have informed me over the years. And although I hope this episode is a resource and starting point for you, if you may be struggling, of course, please seek help from a licensed mental health professional, which you can find on our website, sidiebaddies.com research. And I'll see you soon. Stay soft, baddie. To stay connected, join Sidie Baddies on Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, and more, and sign up for our monthly newsletter on sidiebaddies.com to stay in the loop. Sending you hella love and stay soft, baddie.